Lord, that's our heart this morning, that we, we would be restored to right fellowship with you. We thank you and praise you that you are such a great and an awesome God. You love us so very much. We pray as we go to your word that, Lord, you would be our teacher this morning. Father, we're desperate for you because without you we can do nothing. We pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. Give us all ears to hear what the spirit would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said... Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Santa Cruz. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we will absolutely loan you one. And as a matter of fact, if you, don't have, if, that, if you like that one better than the one you've got at home, or if you don't have one at home, please feel free to take it as our gift. And if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 22, We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. I want to encourage you, if you haven't been coming on Wednesday nights, we're in Numbers, and pray about coming out. It's been a blessing. We'll be in chapter 13 this coming week. It's just awesome to take a look at the Old Testament and see Jesus all over the place. So I encourage you to pray about coming on Wednesday night. Also, look in your bulletin. There are, there's a couples ministry every other Saturday night. Uh, on Friday night is a young adults Bible study. Friday morning, the men's Bible study at the Heavenly Cafe. Tuesday morning and Tuesday night, we have a women's Bible study. The Bible College is coming up. Uh, also, just as a reminder, most, many, maybe, most of you know, but some of you may not, we're on the radio Monday through Friday at 10.30 in the morning on 8.80 a.m. I know there's some people that are here because of that. And so just be praying about that ministry. Also, as another reminder, all the tapes here are always free. Just help yourself, okay? God's Word is free as a free gift. We're never ever going to charge for tapes at Calvary Chapel, okay? So if, if you want to get a tape and share it with a friend, you have a burden for somebody, just go help yourself. If you're not able to come on Wednesdays, you want to listen to the Old Testament studies while you're driving around, going to work, things like that, just help yourself. Well, let's take a look at Acts 22. We're going to pick up again where we left off last week. And Acts really is the continuing story of the first century church. That's what it's all about. And we saw in the first half the life of Peter and the transformation in his life as Pentecost and the Holy Spirit upon him changed him from being a guy who denied the Lord to a guy who boldly spoke on his behalf. The second half of the text, as we, started, we talked about last week, the second half of Acts focuses on the life of a man by the name of Saul, who later became Paul. Now we know that Saul's life began with him being a persecutor of the church, and then he became a man who was persecuted by the world. Before he knew the Lord, he persecuted believers, and after he knew the Lord, he was persecuted by the world. And we saw that in Paul's life, that he had such a burden for his people that remember when he first got saved, we're going to see his testimony this morning, but when he first got saved, he went straight to who first? Who did he go talk to first? The Jews. Remember that? And the Lord had told him, but I have a, a ministry for you to the Gentiles. But he said, but these are my people. And I have a burden for them. And he went first to the Jews, and how did they receive him? Who, who remembers? What did they want to do to him? They wanted to kill him. And so they desired to kill Paul, and, and Paul then, after being in Damascus and going in the synagogue, and they wanted to kill him, they had to lower him down in a basket. They, he then went straight to Jerusalem. He said, well, there's a small amount of Jews here. They all want to kill me, so I'm going to go see the big group of Jews down in Jerusalem and see if they want to kill me too. And he went down there, and sure enough, they stirred up and were angry, and they wanted to kill him. And so eventually what happened, even though he had such a burden for the Jews, he realized that God's plan was for him to minister to the Gentiles. Now, he loved his people so much. In Romans 9, he said that he, he wished that he could be accursed, that they could be saved. He said, Lord, if they could be saved, Lord, I'll take their punishment. That's the heart of a pastor. That's the heart of somebody who really has a burden and a love for people. 
In Romans 9 it says, For I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law. But he was so desperate for them, but it still wasn't God's plan. Can I encourage you with something? Sometimes we think we know better than God. But if you, if you don't know already, you never know better than God. Amen? God has a calling on your life. God has a purpose for your life. God knows what He wants to do with you. And we need to listen to that still, small voice. And Paul had a burden. It was a great burden, but it wasn't what God called him to do. God had another plan. God wanted to use him to plant churches all over the known world, to reach the Gentiles. Now, from a physical perspective, it would have made sense for Paul to be the guy because, as we're going to see today, Paul was a a Jew of Jews. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul knew He grew up with these guys. He grew up with them. He went to seminary with them, right? They hung out in the synagogue together. Who better to go back and talk to them? But it wasn't God's plan. And we needed to heed God's voice. So what happens is he finally obeys the Lord. And as we've seen over the last 10 or so chapters, he's gone out and he's planted churches all over the known world. He's reached thousands of Gentiles. He's planted numerous churches. He's had a burden for these people. At the end of Acts 20, he goes into, he's on his way to Jerusalem and he stops in Miletus and he ministers to the Ephesian pastors, the first pastor's conference. And he shares with them what it means to be a pastor. And he loves the, the Gentiles, but he still has a burden for the Jews. In the midst of all of this, when Acts 20 finally says, I've been bound by the Spirit that I must go to Jerusalem. You know, may we have that heart for Santa Cruz. Amen? We should be burdened for Santa Cruz. Does Santa Cruz need Jesus? Big time. Amen? Santa Cruz. I heard someone tell me, oh, we call it Satan Cruz, where I'm from. I said, well, we're going to, Santa Cruz means Holy Cross. I prefer to think of it that way. Amen? And I'm praying that God will bring revival here. But it starts with a burden for the people, and Paul had it. And so he's got this burden. He says, I've been bound in the Spirit. Then we got to chapter 21, which we looked at last week, which we entitled, None of These Things Move Me. And every step he took, his people were telling him, Paul, if you go down there, they're going to hurt you. Paul, if you go down there, they're going to torture you. They're going to torment you. They're going to persecute you. And Paul finally turns and says, look, guys, don't weep for me. Don't cry. and don't be. I'm going because God told me to go, and I'm willing to die if that's what it takes. He said, these people are important to me. This is eternity we're talking about. I'm not, I'm not talking about going down and seeing some friends. I'm talking about sharing with them something that's going to matter in eternity. Then he goes and Agabus, the prophet last week, remember he took his belt and he tied up his hands and his feet and he said, this is what's going to happen to the guy who this belt belongs to. And it was Paul's belt and the people said, Paul, don't go. Paul, don't go. And he said, look, the Holy Spirit told me to go. I'm going. You know what? Paul's the kind of guy, remember in Lystra what happened. He went into Lystra, he shared the gospel. What did they do to him there? They stoned him. They stoned him to death, I believe. He died. God resurrected him. What did he do? He went right back into the city. How do you stop a guy like Paul? You don't. And Paul was just like, I've got to go share with these people. I know the persecution's coming, but this message is so important. It doesn't matter what happens to me because they need to hear the truth. They're lost. They've missed it. The Messiah came and he went right in front of them and they didn't realize it was him. And he said in Acts 20, 24, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. So he's headed now towards Jerusalem. He's being warned along the way. And as we saw last week, as soon as he got there, what happened? He brought an offering to the church. 
He'd been warned all the way there. He finally gets to Jerusalem. He brings the offering into the church. Then they tell him, hey, they think that you don't believe in the law anymore, so you should go and take these four guys who've taken a vow into the temple and pay their dues for them. Then they'll know that you, while you're a Christian, you, you haven't denied the law of Moses. And so he said, okay. And he did it, and as soon as he went in, what started to happen? It says the crowd stirred up against him. And they grabbed him, and they drug him away, and they started beating him. And in the context, they were going to beat him to death. And why were they beating him? Because he came in, and he was just going to tell them that the Lord loves him. Now at this point, he has said nothing. And they're beating him, and according to the text, he doesn't say one word. There's crowds around him, they're beating him to death. And then the commander of the Roman army comes and sees what's happening, and he comes down and grabs Paul and pulls him out. And this riotous crowd is stirring up, saying, away with him, kill him, kill him. Now, if thousands of people were trying to kill me, I would probably be running in the opposite direction. But what does Paul do? They drag him away, they take him up the steps to get him into the barracks, and, and the people are crying out, and, they're, and they can't, they're trying to get to him, and, they're, you know, and they, they have 200 soldiers protecting his life. And then Paul turns to him and says, can I talk to these guys? This is last week. Would it be cool if I talked to them? I want to talk to them. I want to share with them the love of Jesus. Now I have to confess to you, when someone's tormenting you, it's not often our reaction that we want to share with them the love of Jesus. Sometimes you want to give them the left hand of fellowship, but you know, you know we, we don't want to give them the love of Jesus. And often, and when we should as Christians, the Bible says that you don't overcome evil with evil, you overcome evil with good. A soft answer turns away wrath, but that's not how we always react, is it? Sometimes you just want to get even. Vengeance is mine, I, I will repay, says Dave, right, sometimes. And sometimes we want to get even. But Paul's not like that. He has such a burden for his people. He says they're like this because they need the Lord. They're, they're acting according to their nature. They need Jesus. I used to say this all the time. Don't be surprised when a dog barks because that's what dogs do. And don't be surprised when an unbeliever acts like one. When unbelievers yell, and well, man, they need the Lord. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit... You're not going to have love and joy and peace and kindness. So that brings us to chapter 22. Because it ended, look at the last few verses here. It says, the, verse 37 through 40 of last 21. Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? He said, can you speak Greek? Then he accused him of being the Egyptian, verse 39. But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to these people. So when he given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in Hebrew, saying... Now I love this because, again, they're yelling, they're screaming, they're out of control. Paul at this point has not said a single word. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, prompts him when it's time. And he lifts up his hand and the people literally go silent. I believe that's a miracle. They're crying out to kill him and now he's going to speak to them and it all goes silent. Praise the Lord. And you know what? It's because Paul knew that God had a plan for him, and he was ready. So let's look at the message. And here's what I titled the, the message today. I titled the message today, A Message Worth Dying For. And that's the kind of message this was to Paul, and it's the kind of message that the gospel ought to be to us. Amen? It's a message worth dying for. Paul realizes that this is a matter of eternity. And, he, and we're going to see that he's going to get up and start to share this message. This message that he put his life on the line to deliver. He said, you know what, I know I could die. I might not even get to share it, but I'm going to go down there and give it my best. 
You know, I was just in India recently, most of you know, and there are guys that go out into unreached people groups knowing that they may not live and may not survive as they try to share Jesus with people. And we live in this country, and we don't want to share Jesus with somebody because they might not like us. My neighbor might think I'm a Jesus freak, right? I mean, we're worried, well, somebody might say something mean to me, so I don't want to do it, right? And here these guys are. I mean, their life is on the line. And Paul says, this is a message worth dying for. And as we're going to see, it's also a message worth living for. So we're going to see in the chapter today, Paul's background and his early conduct as he shares his testimony. We're going to see his radical conversion, the special calling that God had placed upon his life, and then God's divine protection as he shares his faith. And I love this because, again, this is the moment he's been waiting for, the moment he's been praying for. We can learn a lot from this. I really want you to take a look. So let's begin in verse 1. As we look at a message worth dying for and Paul's background and early conduct before he was saved. Look at verse 1. It says, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. So these guys are crying out to kill him, and what does he call them? Bros. Hey, brothers. You know, kill him, kill him. Hey, brothers, how you doing? Right? Brothers and fathers. Let me share my defense before you. Now, that word defense is apologia. And it's where we get the word apologetics. How many of you ever heard that word before? Okay? Now, apologetics, some people get confused and think that, that when you say that you have, you're studying apologetics, that you're apologizing for the faith. It's not what it means. The word apologia means in defense of. It means to defend. And so that's what this word is, defending the faith and giving reason and rationale for the things that we believe. Do you know that being a Christian is not just blind faith? It's not checking your brains at the door and believing in God in spite of the facts. That would be superstition. Do you know that the Bible is 100% accurate? That you can look at history, you can look at archaeology, you can look at whatever you want, and Jesus Christ is God. Amen? And so we don't check our brains at the door. And apologetics is defending your faith rationally and saying, here's the truth. And I can look at it from science, and I can look at it from history, and I can look at it any way you want to. And I can show you that Jesus indeed is God. And so he says, I'm going to prepare, prepare my apologia, my defense before you now. He's going to speak to this crowd. Look at verse 2. And when they heard that he spoke to them in Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent than he said. He spoke to the centurion in Greek, but now he speaks to the Jews in Hebrew. He speaks to them in their mother tongue, the tongue that they would be most apt to listen to. You know, I've been in foreign countries and and, you know, not heard English for weeks sometimes. And then someone will speak English, and I'll just, I mean, it just turns your head around, right? Because it's your language, and there's a comfort that comes with that. And he gets up, and he begins to speak in Hebrew. He finds that common ground with these guys. He's going to prepare the defense before them, and he's going to share his heart. Even though, again, they all would have understood Greek, it was his heart to really reach out and touch them in their mother tongue. You know, so too when we share with others, we should always begin with common ground. You know, to, don't attack people. You know, attacking people is not real effective. Have you found that to be true? Have you found that if you go down the street and just start attacking people, not, not a whole lot of people are going to be getting saved anytime soon? Right? The Bible says it's kindness that leads us to repentance. Amen? They shall know us by the love we have one for another. If you go out with a, with a stick and start wailing on people, no one's going to come to... Stand on a box and start screaming at people. Do you see Jesus doing that? No. He loved people. Now, he taught the word without... I'm not saying water down the gospel to make people comfortable. I'm not saying that. But delivered in love. 
Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. That's why we must speak the truth in love. Amen? Love people. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. Love them and then share the truth with them. Amen? And so he finds this common ground. The crowd goes silent. And this is the moment Paul's been waiting for. He's got a crowd. We don't know. This crowd's massive. He's got 200 soldiers protecting him. So we know this crowd is huge. He looks out and says, this is what I've been dreaming about. No doubt he probably rehearsed in his mind, if I ever get to talk to the Jews, I know what I'm going to say, right? This is finally it. The time has come. And you would think this guy is the Pharisee of Pharisees. You would think he'd say, now let me explain to you the real meaning of the sanctuary. Now let's start with the first piece of furniture, right? Now you can do that and it all points to Jesus, doesn't it? But that's not what he does. This intellectual man, this man of great learning and understanding, this well-bred man, what does he do instead? And this is a lesson for all of us. He shares his testimony. He doesn't go into deep theology. He just says, let me tell you who I was and how I met Jesus and who I am now. You know what? You all have a testimony, amen? If you've been born again, that's your testimony. This is who I was, then I came to know Christ, and this is who I am now. And that should be our heart, to share our testimony. Because you know what? Nobody can refute your testimony. People that, have you met, run into people that knew you before you were saved and they're blown away at the difference in you? Amen? How many of you had that happen to you before? Isn't that great though? That's a testimony. They go, dude, what's up with you, man? Jesus is what's up with me. And Paul's coming before these guys, many of them who knew him, many of them he may have studied with. They're crying out for his death. They're all silent. He doesn't get up and start being theological and proving to him how educated he was. He keeps the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can reach them. He makes it real simple. He says, let me share with you my testimony. I want to tell you about the Lord that I've come to know. He shares with them in simplicity. It's interesting, in John chapter 9, the Pharisees asked the blind man who Jesus was. Remember that story? Who's this Jesus who healed you? You know what he said? I love his answer. He said, all I know is this. Once I was blind and now I see. Nobody can refute that. You knew me when I was blind, now you know me and I can see. They want to attack Jesus, he says, let me share my testimony with you. Let me tell you what God did in my life. You can't refute it. This is who I was and this is who I now am. Verse 3, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in, in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are as you all are today. So he says, I was born in Tarsus. So there are some in the group that are Hellenistic Jews, which means that they're Jews by nationality, but they follow the Greek culture. And he says to them, I can identify with you because I was born in Tarsus, which is modern-day Turkey. So I was born in Tarsus. I can relate to you guys. But, he says, I was raised in the city. So you Hebrews of Hebrews, I can relate to you too. Because I was born there. I was raised here. I studied at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the greatest rabbis in Hebrew history. He was respected by all the Jews. It'd be like getting up in front of a group of people and saying, I studied under Billy Graham, right? The people would say, oh. And so he gets up and says, look, I can relate to you. Here's who I studied under. I'm not a dimwit. I have studied. I do know what the Bible, the Word says, the Old Testament law. I know what it says. I've studied it. And it's interesting that Gamaliel, in writing about Paul, in his own individual writings, his biggest complaint about Paul, Paul, then Saul of Tarsus, was that he couldn't give him enough books to read to keep him busy. Because all he wanted to do was read and study. And we know that Saul became a very knowledgeable and a very zealous man. 
And then it says there that he taught strictly according to, the, to their father's law. Again, he knew the oral tradition. He knew the word of God. He knew what the Jews taught. He knew everything. He had that in common with them. And then he says, again, being in common with them, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. The word there for, for zeal is, again, a willingness to use violence to defend their faith. He said, you guys have this zeal. You're, you're going after me because you think I'm teaching something contrary to what you've learned. And I've been zealous just like you. I used to be you. I was just like you are right now. Verse 4. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Paul was an equal, equal opportunity persecutor. He persecuted men and women. Now, who is this way? Persecuting this way. Who's the way? Christians. Where did that come from? John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I persecuted the way. I persecuted the church. He said, I've been just like you guys. I've been zealous like you guys. I've got your background. I know exactly where you're coming from. Nobody persecuted the way more than I did. I went out and chased them down. I grabbed those people. I I, I brought them to judgment. He was holding coats when Stephen was stoned. Verse 5. As also the high priest bears witness and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. I even got letters from Annas or Caiaphas, whoever the high priest was, and then I went out and the Sanhedrin said I could go, and I was going from city to city rounding up the Christians and to drag them back into Jerusalem so that they could be thrown in jail. You think you're zealous? You haven't seen nothing. Hang out with me before I got saved. He's saying, this is who I was. This is the person I used to be. I used to be out of control, zealous for God, but didn't fully understand the truth. That was me. But watch this. He's going to go from talking about who he was, and now he's going to start talking about this radical conversion. Praise the Lord it didn't stop there. Because again, he had been a man who was persecuting the church, a man who was mocking God without knowledge of it. One that, again, Paul was now broken and ashamed of his past, but he got up and shared the commonality with them. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes you'll talk to people and they'll say, but God couldn't forgive me because you don't know about my life. And often, God will put you in an environment where you can say, bro, I've been right where you're at. I know exactly what you're going through. Man, i got a drug problem. You might be someone and say, yeah, dude, I had a drug problem. I had an alcohol, man, me too. Hey, my, my wife and I, our marriage is, I've been there. You know, God will often put us in an environment where our past and the things we've gone through will be a testimony to minister to the hearts of others as God has healed us, so too He can heal them. And Paul gets up and says, I've been right where you are, guys. I can totally relate to you. But let me tell you something else. He's going to go from talking about his past to talking about his radical conversion. Look at verse 6. Now what happened? As I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. I love this. The crowd's listening intently. Paul's relating what happened to him. He talks about persecuting the Christians. And now he says, but I was on my way to get me some more Christians. I was on my way to Damascus. I was on my horse. I had some people with me. We're going to round up some more Christians and drag them back to jail. Couldn't wait to get there. But on my way, something happened to me. And look what it says here, a light shone around him, but I love the fact that when, what time of day was it? It was noon. 
So in the middle of the day, a light shone around him that knocked him off his high horse. Man, that was a bright light. Amen? Now, understand that as he's headed to Damascus, he's zealous for, for, the, for Judaism. He thinks that Jesus is dead. He's seeking to arrest Christians, and he's soon going to be arrested by Christ. And at noontime, a great light. Who's the light of the world? Jesus Christ. You know, we're not going to need the S-U-N in heaven because we're going to have the S-O-N. Amen? We're not going to need any other lights in heaven. God will illuminate heaven all on His own. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai and just saw the backside of God, God covered him up in the cleft and he saw the backside of His glory. When Moses came down, what was his face doing? It was glowing. You hang out with the Lord, you're going to be glowing and see that He just, man, He's riding along thinking He's going to go get after some Christians and boom, the light of God just shines on Him and it knocks Him to the ground. It just throws Him flat out on the ground. The noonday sun cannot compare with the light of the Lord. The noonday sun has nothing on God. The light of the Creator is way greater than the light of the creation. Verse 7, and it says there, And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So this light knocks him to the ground. This man who's proud of himself. This man who's on his high horse. This man who's riding into Damascus to persecute Christians. The light shines on him and it brings him to the end of himself. You know what? The self-righteous cannot stand in the Lord's presence. I hear people say, when I, get, when I die, if there is a God, I've got a few things I'm going to tell him. I've got some stuff I'm going to... You ever hear anybody talk like that? I tell them, dude, you ain't gonna be stand- you're going to be on your face. You ain't going to be saying nothing. You're going to be in awe, right? You're going to be in fear and trembling. You ain't going to be telling God anything, right? And so, self-righteous guy, zealous for the law, on his way, Holy Spirit, the light comes, he's on the ground, he's been humbled, and then he hears a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus is arresting Saul and protecting his bride. Now he says, why are you persecuting me? Who is he persecuting? The Christians. So that means when people persecute Christians, they're persecuting Christ. Amen? He, said, he didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He says, why are you persecuting me? So when people come after us, they're coming after the Lord. God's on our side. God is for us. Who can be against us? No fear for those in Christ Jesus. Amen? He'll never leave me nor forsake me. I've got nothing to worry about. And he says, why are you persecuting me? He's persecuting Christians. And when he does, he's persecuting Christ. The Lord loves us. And when people attack his bride, he takes it personally. And look what he says. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The Lord knows him by name. The Lord knows the name of every man, woman, and child on this planet. He knows every hair on our head, and he loves us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knows Saul and he calls him by name. He knows your name. He knows your every thought. Verse 8. So I answered and said, who are you, Lord? So so the Lord knows Saul, but Saul doesn't know the Lord yet. Maybe you're here this morning. Can I tell you that the Lord knows you? He knows you and he loves you. Maybe you don't know him yet. Maybe you, you haven't responded to him calling you by name. So powerful was the light and its effect on Saul. There was no doubt in his mind who it was, because look how he responds. He says, who are you what? Lord. This light was so powerful that he knew, whoa, whatever this is, this is it. This is the Lord right here. Who are you, Lord? He doesn't say, who are you, great light in the sky, right? Who are you, Lord? Because whoever you are, I need to get right with you like right now, right? 
I've been knocked off my horse. I'm not so proud anymore. I'm at the end of myself. Who are you, Lord? I want to know, because I need to do some confessing right about now, right? And look what it says. He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. These words must have rung in his ears. He had seen Stephen's countenance when he was shining and when he was holding coats, but now the light had shone on him, and the very Jesus he was persecuting, the very Jesus the Jews had, had, you know, had arrested, was indeed the Lord, the Savior, the Almighty God. This Jesus he thought was dead wasn't dead after all. He's alive. And he's like, whoa. Now understand that not only is he relating the story of what happened to him, who's he speaking to right now? The Jews. Is he watering down the gospel here for these guys? He's saying, it's Jesus, you guys. These are the same crowd that were saying, crucify him, crucify him. And now he's standing in front of them saying, this, I got knocked off my horse, and I heard a voice from heaven, and it was Jesus. And amazing to me, I, you would think that they would start stirring it up, but God had a plan that they would hear the entire gospel, and they don't get excited yet. They let him continue on. Jesus is not dead, but he's alive. God's grace that he found out before it was too late. Paul now relating the same truth to his Jewish brethren who thought Jesus was dead. It's only by God's grace that they continue to listen. Understand, if you're here this morning, Jesus Christ is a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. Amen? We don't serve a dead God. All other gods are dead. You've heard me say that many times. They're all dead, but Jesus Christ is a risen and living Savior. Verse 9. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of Him who spoke to me. And, what, and if you look again, the original language, it says that they didn't understand the voice. They heard a noise, but it didn't make sense to them. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? Word of God. The people that didn't understand the voice of God walked away without a relationship with Him. And the same is true today. People don't hear God's voice. People don't spend time in His Word are missing out on understanding who the light is. Verse 10. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? Now this is repentance. He falls off his high horse, he's laying on the ground, and he, and he says, Lord, who are you? And the Lord says, it's, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecute. And he says, what do you want me to do? That is repentance. Repentance is, Lord, how do you want me to change my life? You know, often people come to the Lord and they want to know what the Lord can do for them. Right? Well, uh, all right, well, if I become a Christian, you're going to give me that promotion at work? You're going to hook me up with that blonde at the college campus that's really pretty fine? You know, we, you know, going to get hooked me up with that money I want? You know, I mean, I want that car now. Give me the G-Ride and I'll hook up. You know, come on, I'll follow you, right? We, we give God commands. We start telling God, if you'll do this for me. Could, you know what? True repentance is, you're, Lord, I need you. Lord, I, I'm a sinner. I'm desperate in need of you. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do I need to do to be saved? I'm a sinful man. I'm not giving you orders. I'm asking you, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's Paul's heart. A 180 from persecuting Christians and being willing to, to, to turning and saying, Christ, I want to follow you. From persecuting his followers to saying, Lord, I'll follow you. Tell me what you want. I'll do anything you say. The transforming work of Christ in just a moment. When we realize who the Lord is and all that he has done for us, that he died in our place, that we might have life, how can we not say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And look what he says to him. Arise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all things which are appointed for you to do. Lord's going to send him to a godly man. 
And again, the Lord most often directs us one step at a time. He doesn't tell him, okay, okay, Saul, your name, I'm going to change your name to Paul down the road here. But before then, these are the 57 steps of the things I'm going to do for the rest of your life. The Lord most often says, take the first step, go into Damascus, just obey me. And when you take the first step, then I'll show you the second one. You want to know the whole picture first, the Lord wants us just to respond in obedience to the first step. Verse 11, and since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Now this is not quite the entrance he thought he was going to make into Damascus, is it? He thought he was riding in on a horse with some guys behind him, you know, and round them up! Get those Christians and drag them away! Instead he comes in blind, being led by the hand. Things done changed, huh, Paul? Right? You aren't quite all the guy you thought you were, are you? Right? You thought you were going to rally in there and you were going to be in charge, and all of a sudden, oh, I'm a blind guy. I've got to be led by the hand. You know what? That's who we need to understand that we are. We're the blind guy that needs to be led by the hand. Amen? We need to be led by the Lord, led by the Spirit, trusting in Him, not trusting in our abilities and trusting in our own strength, not on a horse leading a charge, not with papers of authority, persecuting and binding Christians, but instead came in blind and helpless, being led by the hand. Verse 12. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews, dwelt there. So speaking to this Jewish audience, he speaks about this Jewish man that God used to touch him. This man that would disciple him. This man who had a good testimony with all the Jews. Again, he knows who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the Jews and he's seeking to have common ground. Look at verse 13. He came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour, I looked up at him. Now, I want you to know something. If you look in Acts chapter 9, this was not easy for Ananias to do. Because remember how Ananias first responded when the Lord told him that Saul's coming and I want you to go and touch him and heal him? He said, wait a minute. That's the guy that was holding coats when they stoned Stephen? That's the guy that's been going from city to city, you know, persecuting my brothers of the Lord? Uh, he's blind? How about we cripple him too? You know? How about we throw him off a cliff, Lord? You want me to heal that guy? He's a train wreck. Lord, we don't want to heal him. Are you sure? Aren't you glad that God sees the finished product? God sees who we're going to become, not who we are right now. And God loves us. And Saul of Tarsus was going to become the Apostle Paul. He was going to become a man that God used to, to establish most of the Gentile churches. A man that God used to write most of the New Testament. But all Ananias saw was a guy on a horse whipping up on his people, even killing Christians. And he said, man, Lord, smoke him. You know, may we never fall into the trap to think that someone is so bad they can't get saved. Amen? Can anyone get saved? Could Saddam Hussein get saved? Yes. Will he? Probably not. But could he? Yes. Right? God can save anyone. Is his grace sufficient for all of mankind? Yes. I'm glad that that's the case. I'm glad there's no cutoff. Oh, you're too bad. You're done. Sorry. You, you just have one. You, you get 900,000 sins. You got 900,050. You're out, right? I'm glad that's not our God. And he looks at Saul and he sees who he's going to be. And Ananias goes and he touches him and says, receive your sight. And I love this. The Lord takes this man who is spiritually blind, makes him physically blind, then gives him spiritual sight, and then gives him physical sight. It's exactly what happened. He was 
spiritually blind, so he physically blinded him that he might have spiritual sight, and now he gives him physical sight. Verse 14. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. So this is Ananias speaking to Paul, and he tells him, God's got a plan for your life, Saul. You know what? Not only does he want to give you your sight back, but he wants to use you. God saved you to use you. Amen? That's a common theme around here, isn't it? Right? We're all in the ministry. God didn't save us to be pew potatoes. God didn't save us to be the biggest, fattest sheep in town. God saved us that we might be used for His glory. And so we see here that when God saves somebody, He says, I'm going to give your sight back, but I've got a calling on your life. Sometimes we think, well, I'm going to come to Jesus so I can quit doing drugs. Well, guess what? That's great. He'll help you with that, but He's still got more of a plan. That's not the end. Well, I'm not doing drugs anymore. Well, that's wonderful, but God's got more He wants to do with you. And that's what happened with Saul. I've given your sight back, but i still got more I want to do with you. I've got a plan for your life. And look what it says here. I love this. It says, has chosen you, you will know His will, that you will see the just one, and you will hear the voice of His mouth. I'll tell you what, that should be our heart. Wouldn't you love to hear His voice? Amen? Wouldn't you love to be led by the Spirit, be seeking His face? Do you know you can hear His voice? Does God speak to you every day? What's the answer? The answer is yes. Do you hear Him every day? No. Why not? You're not listening. Amen? He's speaking. But we get too busy. I've got my job thing, and I've got all this stuff. And the Lord's going, I want you to go... Right? I'm watching TV. Come back later, right? i got I'm pounding some nails, Lord. I've got to get this project out, and, you know, come talk to me later. And we do that sometimes. God's speaking to us, and we're too busy to hear Him. But He says to Paul, you're going to hear, and you're going to see, and you're going to know His will. And I'll tell you what, that's a man or a woman that God can use mildly. Verse 15, For you will be His witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. You know what? This testimony of you getting knocked off your horse is you're going to be able to go and tell everybody about me now. And it says, You shall be a witness to me. Acts 1 verse 8 says, You shall receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be what? Witnesses to me. When you're born again and you're filled with the Spirit of the living God, a natural outpouring of your love for the Lord should be that you share your faith with others. If we're Christians, we should be sharing our faith. Do we have something worthy to share with others? Amen? You know something sad though? Less than five, according to a study I saw, it's years old, but it said less than 5% of Christians ever lead anybody to the Lord in their lifetime. Is that fulfilling the Great Commission? Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Often we want our get out of hell free card. Got my get out of hell free card, I'm on the cruise ship to heaven. But God, I tell you, I love to introduce people to my wife because I love her. And I want everybody to know this is my wife. I love to introduce people to my children because I love them and I'm proud of them. But you know what? I ought to love introducing them to Jesus more than anyone else because He's my best friend. He's my Lord, my Savior, my God, my King. He rescued me from death. He's given me eternal life. And the same grace He's given me is available to anybody else who will receive it. Amen? Shouldn't we be excited about that? Shouldn't we be sharing our faith more? And he says, Paul, I'm going to use you that way. And Paul received the Spirit and he became a witness. Verse 16. And now why are you waiting Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now Paul had already been filled with the Holy Spirit. This baptism was a public statement of an inward change. Baptism is letting everyone know what's already happened on the inside. My sins have been washed away. My sins have been cleansed. The original language, it talks about because of your 
sins being washed away. Go, and he says, don't wait. And I love this because he says, don't wait. What are you, why are you waiting? You know, that could be a good question for us this morning. How long has Paul been a Christian at this point? A day? An hour? We don't know. Not very long, right? A few days? And what does the Lord say to him? All right, you've been saved three days. Get off your duff and go do something. He says, why are you waiting? What are you waiting for? I saved you. I revealed myself to you. Now go do something. Right? Maybe that's a word for us this morning. Why are we waiting? Well, as soon as all my kids graduate from college, then I can serve the Lord. As soon as I get out of debt, as soon as I get the boat paid off, as soon as, we've always got to, you know, as soon as this, and we've always got reasons why we're waiting to serve God. May we be found doing when He comes back, amen? May we be found busy about His work. May we realize we're all in the ministry and God wants to use us even right now. Baptism is not essential for salvation. It's an act of obedience. It's a public confession. I want to encourage you with something, though. If you're here this morning and you haven't been baptized, you should be. Now, do you have to be baptized to be saved? No. Because what did Jesus say on the cross? Last word, what is it? The talisai, which means what? It is finished. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. But, if we've been born again, shouldn't we want the whole world to know it? Shouldn't we want to make a public confession for Him? Absolutely. And baptism is an outward statement of an inward change. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a picture of us dying to the person we used to be and becoming alive in Him. And if you haven't been baptized, let me encourage you, do it. What are you waiting for? That's what it says right there in the verse, right? What are you waiting for? Get up and go be baptized. That's what it says right there in the text. Maybe that applies to your life this morning. Now, lastly, we're going to see in this testimony, not only his early conduct and his radical conversion, but that with his conversion came a calling. Verse 17. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Back in Acts 9, the Lord told them, you need to get out of Jerusalem because they're going to come after you, Paul. And you know what? His life was saved because he obeyed the Lord. It's true, they desired to come after He thought, I'm going to go minister to my people. And the Lord said, you've got to get away from them. They're not ready to hear the message yet, Paul. I've called you to go minister to someone else. It would have made sense for him to be there because he was the Jew of all Jews, but God had another plan. Verse 19. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also standing by consenting to this death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Now before he leaves, though, he's debating with the Lord. He starts telling God, but wait a minute. Lord, what do you want me to do? Oh, well, not that. Ever done that? Lord, where do you want me to go? Santa Cruz. Well, wait a minute. Couldn't there be another place you got? Are you sure? That's the, no. The Lord has a calling on his life, but Paul begins to argue with God. And what he's saying is, if I leave, everybody out there, all those Christians, everybody out there knows the kind of person I was. How effective am I going to be? These are my homies here. Right? We went to synagogue together. I talked their language. Let me stay here. No, I want you to go. You know what? God wants to use us in the circumstances that often seem impossible to us that he might be glorified. Peter, the fisherman, wouldn't he have been great to minister to the Gentiles? Fisherman, right? Rough guy. Gentiles would love that guy, right? The Lord sent him to who? The Jews. Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, knows all the stuff is as Jewish as they come. He would have been great for the Jews. Where does the Lord send him? Gentiles. Why? God might be glorified, right? 
Not our personality, not our abilities, but God's calling that brings forth fruit. It needs to be the right man in the right place at the right time. I have buddies who've started, tried to start churches, have struggled forever. It doesn't work. Falls flat. And then the same guy goes to another city and a church explodes. What happened? Because that's where God called them to be to begin with. Amen? It's not just our calling, but it's being obedient to do it in the place where God has called us to be. And Paul, he's saying, Paul, I got another plan for you. And faith is learning to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. God was calling Paul to go minister alongside believers he had persecuted. That didn't sound too good to him. Rather than those he had grown up with, rather than those whose cultures he could relate to, his ways are not our ways. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Verse 21, then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the what? The Gentiles. Now, remember, where's Paul relating this story? Who's he standing in front of? The Jews. What do they think about the Gentiles? They hate them. There's no other word for it. They hate them. You know, there was a Jewish saying that Gentiles were only good for one thing, to keep the fires of hell hot. They called Gentiles dogs. Remember if they accidentally walked across Gentile land, what did they do? They had to go cleanse themselves. Oh, I touched a Gentile today. I've got to go through seven days of cleansing. They didn't think much of the Gentiles. Now he gets up. He, they're listening even when he talks about Jesus. Okay. You know, and you're thinking, well, maybe he's getting through. And then he throws out one word. And watch what happens. Watch this response. Because if there's a God who loves the Gentiles, they don't want any part of him. Because look at their response. Verse 22. And they listened to him until this word, and they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. What did he say? God told me to go minister to Gentiles. Gentiles? Oh, kill him! Aren't you glad we don't serve the Jewish God? You know, the God of Judaism of today. You know, the God of... Right? Our God, you know, again, he fulfilled the law. He didn't do away with it, but he fulfilled it. He's the foreshad- The law is a foreshadowing of Christ to come. He's a God of grace and love and mercy. Praise God for that. And the Jews are just bitter and angry, and they want to take it out on him. The Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. The wall that separated the Jews and Gentiles has been torn down. The bell's been torn. We can all enter into God's presence anywhere, anytime. And now they're going to get fired up. And watch how God protects him. We're almost done. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, it's a sign of mourning or contempt. They started to tear their clothes and they started throwing things in the air. There was a tradition that when they responded to, to something that brought contempt to their hearts. So what is he sharing with them? God's grace and how do they respond? In mourning. Does this baffle you? Does it baffle you when you tell people Jesus loves you and they get mad at you? I told you that someone loves you and you're mad? I don't understand. But again, it's that I don't want, you know, and it's that anger and that bitterness and that, those scales on the people's eyes and they're just sharing with them a message about a God who loves them and they get angry. And that's who these Jews were. They heard this, oh, and they, they started tearing their clothes. And verse 24, Then the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said they should examine him under scourging so that he might know why he shouted, they shouted so against him. Now, if they examined Saul by scourging, he would have died, Paul. Because scourging was they took him on a post, same thing they did to our Savior, wrapped their feet and their arms around the post, and they were hanging this way, and they could not defend themselves. Then they took a flagellum that had bone and metal and glass, and it had 
uh, nine str strands on it, and they would take it and bring it, and it would grab onto the flesh, and then they would pull it back, and pieces of flesh would come back with it. And that's what they did to Jesus 40, 39 times, 40 lashes minus one. Most men died from that. Now, being examined under scourging meant that they scourged you till you either confessed or died. What was Paul going to confess? What had he done? What could he confess? Nothing. He would have died. They would have, they would have hit him with that flagellum until he was dead. But we see God's divine protection. Because look what happens here. As they bound him with thongs, they're binding him. They're getting ready to whip on him. Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Are you allowed to do this to a Roman? Uh, no, they weren't. Matter of fact, if they bound a Roman without taking him to court, they could be thrown in jail. And if they whipped a Roman without taking him to court, they could be killed. So Paul just turns to him and says, and I love, I, I sense that he's pretty calm here. They're about to whip up on him, but he just turns and says, are you allowed to do this to a Roman? Just curious, you know. <laughs> and again, I think Paul's ready to die if that's what it takes. I shared the message, you know. And understand, it's not how many people that get saved. It's us being faithful to share the message. People getting saved is God's job, not ours. Amen? You can't convince somebody to be saved. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We share our faith and we do it in love. But God is the one that brings the increase. Is it, are you allowed to do this? And the centurion heard that. He went and told the commander, saying, uh, Take care before you do this, man. He's a Roman. The commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. Then the commander, the commander answered, With a large sum I attained a citizenship. And Paul said, I was born a citizen. The commander said, I had to pay off a lot of people to become a Roman. Dude, I was born a Roman. Oh, untie that guy, right? I mean, you know, get him, get him off of there. You know, I mean, because you know, I had to pay a lot. What did you have to pay? I, I was born a citizen. I'm higher than you, dude. I mean, you're whipping on me. Oh, this could be trouble, right? Guy, untie him quickly, right? Verse 28. Commander said with a large sum, verse 29, then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman because he had bound him again. If Paul had gone to the authorities, this guy could have been in huge trouble for binding a Roman without having gone and had due process. Verse 30. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all the council to appear and brought Paul down and set them before them. Now, I love this. Because guess what we're going to see next week? Paul is persecuted. Paul has been beaten since he got to Jerusalem. But guess what's coming next week? Another divine appointment. He goes from ministering to the big, huge crowd of Jews, and now guess where they're going to take him? To the Sanhedrin. They're going to take him to the, to, the, to the religious leaders of the day, the most spiritual men of the day, and they're going to go, okay, we've got to examine him. Let's take him to the religious leaders, and Paul's like, all right on. I get to share my faith again. This is great. And they might kill me, but if they do, I'm going to, you know, absent from the body, present with the Lord. It's all good. It doesn't matter to me. That's great. Divine appointment. You know, Paul had such a, a perspective on eternity that he never viewed things as being a drag or a bummer, but an opportunity to minister to people. So in closing, a message worth dying for. So important to Paul to deliver the good news of the gospel to his brethren that he was willing to endure persecution, affliction, even death if necessary. Paul saw the world from an eternal perspective. Realizing that eternity was at stake. What's heaven like, you guys? It's greater than we think. Amen? No matter how great you think heaven is, it's going to be way better than that. 
We're going to be in the presence of Almighty God, where gold is asphalt, where there's no sorrow, no pain, no suffering, no weeping, no tears, no dead carcasses that we're dragging around anymore. It's going to be awesome. And we can't understand how great heaven's going to be, and we cannot understand how horrific hell's going to be either. As vile and as, uh, as horrible as you might think it's going to be, it's going to be worse than that. Paul had an eternal perspective and said, my people are headed to eternal separation. It breaks my heart. Whatever has to happen that I can share the truth with them, I'll do it. If I have to lose my life, it's worth it. If I get to just share the gospel with them even one time. You know, he was willing to cross the globe to be beaten, and we're not willing to cross the street sometimes. We're not willing to tell our neighbor about the love of God because we're afraid they might think we're weird. Maybe we have the same vision and passion and burden that Paul had. May we start to see the world through eternal eyes. May we start to be broken over the people that are, se- are separated from God and don't know Him. There was no physical threat that would keep Him from delivering this eternal message. It was a message worth dying for. And sadly today, again, very few people are willing to even make a stand for Him. Not only is it a message worth dying for, it's a message worth living for. He died for us. Shouldn't we live for Him? Amen? Shouldn't He be first? No. Paul would later say, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. That doesn't mean Paul's first, that God's first on my list. He is the list. He's first, tenth, fiftieth, hundredth, and every number in between. Well, does that mean, Pastor Dave, I just have to go sit in the lotus position and read my Bible and, and witness all day? That's all I can do? No. But we should be witnesses wherever we go. We don't go witnessing, we are witnesses. Amen? The way we live ought to impact the world around us. Was this message worth dying for? Well, let me tell you, lastly, it was worth dying for because that's exactly what Jesus did. He died for this message. If he didn't, there wouldn't be a message. It had to be a perfect, holy God to restore sinful man back to holy God. It had to be a holy sacrifice, and only Jesus could do it. May we live with eternal perspective. May we share this message like it's worth not only dying for, but living for here and now. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that... We follow a risen and living Savior. We thank you that we have a message that's worth dying for. And Lord, we thank you that you died in our place, that we might have eternal life, that we can walk with you and serve you and and follow that risen and living Savior, that you love us so much, that your Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us. Lord, I pray, if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, that Lord, you would open their eyes to their need for you. Father, I pray for those of us who do, that Lord, we would respond to that calling, Lord, to see the world through eternal eyes. I hadn't planned on doing this, but real quickly, with every head bowed, and be praying for those who don't know the Lord. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you're walking like Paul was on the road to Damascus, the Lord's calling you by name, He loves you so very much, He died in your place so you might have eternal life, all you have to do is respond like Paul did and say, yes, Lord, I need you. If you're here this morning and you know that you're a sinner and you need to confess Jesus as your Savior. You want to know for sure when you walk out of this place, you got the promise of heaven. I'm just going to do something real simple. The Bible says, confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. I just want you to raise your hand and I'll pray a simple prayer with you and you can walk out of here knowing you're born again. Is there anybody here at all? Say, I want to make sure, I want to know for sure that I'm going to heaven, that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Anybody at all? God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Anybody else? God is so good. Everybody pray with me together this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, 
I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me for my sin, to make me a new creation, to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that He died on the cross for my sin, that He paid the price, and that He rose from the dead. I believe that I've been forgiven, and I thank You for forgiving me. Help me to walk with You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's stand and close the worship song.